It's July 2022, episode 22. Nicole Lowald on yoga, meditation, therapy, and mental health. Welcome to Hacking Culture, exploring practices and technologies that contribute to well-being. Hacking Culture is sponsored by Lullabot, and I'm your host, Matthew Tift. There are a lot of yoga teachers in the world, and there are a lot of therapists. And today's guest is both a yoga teacher and a therapist, as well as a published author. So find a comfortable seat on your cushion and pour yourself a cup of chai tea or settle into your easy chair and light the fire because it's time for hacking culture. Today's guest is Nicole Lowald. She's a psychotherapist and yoga teacher. She's author of the book, Om Sweet Om, A Corporate Junkie's Search for Enlightenment. And Nicole is also one of the owners of the yoga studio where I teach yoga and meditation. So I'm very much looking forward to our talk today. How are you doing today, Nicole? I'm wonderful, Matthew. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here. Could you start off by just telling us a little bit about your journey from corporate junkie, to use your phrase, to where you are now? <laughs> sure, absolutely. So I use the phrase corporate junkie because uh, about, about 12 or so years ago, I was working for a corporation downtown Minneapolis. Um, and at the time, I was incredibly stressed out, and I didn't actually realize it. My husband was in the military. He was deployed to Iraq. We had a two-year-old son. So a lot of external stressors, a lot of things going on. And around that time, I, I started to have kind of a health crisis where my hair started to fall out. I was going into kind of that chronic fatigue, fatigue syndrome place and I found yoga. And so I found myself on a, on a yoga mat. And for the first time ever, I learned that I could quiet my mind down, that I could calm my body. And I was totally hooked. And so my book is about that transition from, you know, being kind of addicted to the stress of, of a, you know, a intense work environment, intense life. Um, and there's still intensity in my life, certainly, <laughs> but I've learned how to better manage it now through yoga and through uh, meditation and some of the practices that, that we'll likely be talking about today. Thank you. I thought we'd start off by talking a little bit about why you are here, because I know you had some questions when I invited you onto a show called Hacking Culture. So I wanted to offer a little bit of background to set the stage for both you and the listeners. Like me, many of the people listening to this show use open source and free software because it provides us a level of freedom and control. And we learn how to use and choose software that makes it difficult for companies that track us. As a result, we rarely see targeted ads and we have the ability to look at source code and some of us can even understand what that code is doing. So I like to think that in some sense, we're a little bit like traditional yogis where we want to figure out how things work, continually make tweaks, and really constantly make adjustments to optimize our own happiness. So kind of like yogis, we can be willing to invest a lot of time and go to great lengths to do what we feel is right. And for some of us, there can be a strong desire to figure things out on our own and not ask for help. So I think that same attitude extends far beyond the realm of technology. So people listening might not just view themselves as computer hackers, but also as life hackers. And we want to optimize our homes and our workstations and our habits and our memories and our minds and all of that. Where I work at Lullabot, I'm currently a co-facilitator of our mental health working group. And our group works to provide support for mental health issues in our company. We have a three-prong mission, which is to raise awareness of mental health issues, 
to provide resources and to increase support. You and I are talking on this podcast and in a way it supports all three of these areas. And I thought with your breadth of knowledge and experience, you could help us understand more about some of the scientific benefits of yoga and meditation and other wellness practices, as well as to dig into some of the reasons why someone might seek out therapy rather than one of these other practices. And I thought maybe for our discussion today, we could start talking a little bit about therapy and then move towards yoga and meditation and some of the related practices, and then maybe explore some of the messiness in between. So how does that sound as a plan? That sounds great. And, and I'm really glad you're not going to be asking me questions about technology because <laughs> I warned you ahead of time that that is not my world or understanding. So I'll apologize to any listeners if I say something wrong as it relates to the technical world. <laughs> That's all right. You are not here to provide us with technical support. Let's just start by defining some of these modalities. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about the kind of therapy that you practice and who you serve in your practice. Absolutely. So as a psychotherapist, I focus on integrative therapy. And what I mean by that, or what the, the term integrative therapy can be defined as, is kind of weaving Western, the Western medical model of therapy with other modalities. And I think of those as a lot of Eastern practices. And so sometimes when people think about therapy, we all have those visions maybe of, of someone lying on a couch <laughs> and telling all their woes, right? And that that is kind of the traditional form of talk therapy that's still used today in a lot of different ways. But as we've dug into the research or started to dig into the research of how our brains work, and also how our bodies work somatically, we're starting to learn a lot more about how somatic practices and how some of these um, Eastern-based practices can really help with our overall mental health, our wellness, help with us uh, processing emotions. So that's the idea of integrative therapy is really to bring in a lot of different practices and to meet each individual as the unique person that they are, and to figure out what is going to best serve them, what is going to help them, you know, best heal or meet the needs that they're looking for. And so for some people that might be some very, you know, some traditional talk therapy. For others, we might use breath work or meditation or energy healing or yoga or shamanic practices. So there's a lot of different things that I can pull from as an integrative therapist to, you know, work with my clients. I love working with, I, I work with a lot of different people and I love working with individuals, any ages, um, essentially, as long as they're adolescents and above. So I don't necessarily work with, with the little kids um, because I have my own little kids at home. So I want to focus that energy there. <laughs> But I have training in addition to my yoga training and my training as a counselor, I have a background in marriage and family therapy. So with that systematic or that systems um, lens, I also like to work with whole family units with systems of the family. So that might be couples or partners in relationship. Um, it could be families or different units within a family. So I kind of work with, with all of it as long as they're not the little kids, I refer those out to people that are better at play therapy than I am. <laughs> I see. So it sounds like you work with both individuals and groups. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I have thought about therapy or others might think of is that the focus is typically on what's wrong with a situation or a person and the work is to fix what is wrong. Do you think that's an accurate description? I think some therapists might focus a lot on what's wrong and how to fix it. So for example, in the therapeutic uh, medical model, therapists are trained to look at what is the um, disorder or the diagnosis? What is that thing that's causing a challenge in their life? And then we create a treatment plan, right? We create goals around how do we get them to a more optimal level? How do we get them to a place of, of wellness? 
um, before I was doing therapy, I did life coaching. And so I have training in life coaching, which is focused more so on where am I now and where do I want to be in the future? Or what are the things that I want to build or create or grow into in my life? And I think that some therapists do use that life coaching um, model in addition to therapy so that we can look holistically, not just at you know, what's wrong and what brings you in to therapy, but who are you when you're at your best or what does that look like for you and how do we get there? So I think of traditional therapy might focus more so on the past and previous experiences. I like to think about integrative therapy as being working on that past, so bringing that in, but then also using the mindfulness practices of how do we look at the present and how do we find satisfaction and contentment and happiness in the present moment? And how do we integrate some of those life coaching principles and goals kind of forward focus? It's called solution focused therapy. How do we bring that in to um, look at where we want to go? And so holistically, we're, we're looking at all those pieces and parts together. So I guess to answer your question, it really depends on the, the therapist and their philosophy. Um, I think some therapists do um, you know, look at that from that holistic perspective. Do you have general advice about when people should turn to a therapist? Yeah, I think I have a little bit of both. So there are some people that might be going through a life transition. So maybe a loss, um, a divorce, um, either they've moved and are creating a new community or a new life in some way. So, so sometimes people are trying to fix something or maybe they have a mental health challenge um, or emotional challenge where they have a lot of anxiety that's keeping them from living the life they want or depression. Um, so there is that. And at the same time, there are some people that are functioning really well, but realize that they are missing something or they're not, even though they're functioning well, they're not completely satisfied. So they may are, they may be interested in wanting to connect or reconnect with a spiritual part of themselves or just build their awareness and their insight of who they are, what their beliefs are and where they want to go. Um, so I think, you know, it's a little bit of both and it just depends on um, where the person, where the person is at and what they're looking for. It seems like some people want to think of a practice of meditation as hacking the mind. Actually, I talked about that with a previous guest, and there's this idea that people can learn new habits and that kind of thing. And this idea of hacking sort of implies control. And to me, it seems like one of the differentiators, perhaps, with therapy is that there's a real sense of probing the mind, finding out what's going on, uncovering some of the assumptions that are going on, sort of questioning the stories in the mind. Do either of those speak to you in terms of how a therapist might work? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I tell clients um, that, you know, we're not really taught as young children that we can control our minds. And so what happens with a lot of people is we start to live in this world and, and live in our lives and we have worries, right? So we have a lot of stress or worry that can come up for us. And it's that inability to control the worry that sometimes can cause anxiety and can cause some of these um, bigger mental health concerns that people have. And what we've learned through the research in meditation and the brain science um, that's out there now is that we do have the ability to, to grow certain areas of our brain. We have neuroplasticity and, and we have the ability to be able to like take a step back and become the witness to our thoughts. And so in yoga, we talk about how we are not our thoughts, right? We are the witness, the observer to our thoughts. And when you do that, you regain a sense of control. And in that control and understanding, then you can start doing different practices that help you to, like you said, shift beliefs or shift mindset or stop different patterns that have just been ingrained in us over time. And, and maybe even from our, our, you know, original, our family of origin. So I do think that there's just exciting new information 
out there that's empowering people to recognize that we can take that control again and learn how to shift the way that our, our brain is processing information. I was reading the World Happiness Report recently. The 2022 version came out. It's been coming out every year since 2012. This report found that on average, there's been a moderate upward trend in stress, worry, and sadness in most countries and a slightly long-term decline in enjoyment of life. So we have more sad, stressed out people Another report that I saw recently was the Global Yoga Survey. It was a survey of over 10,000 practitioners from 124 countries. And the participants said that stress relief and relaxation were perceived to be the most important benefits of yoga. So I saw that and I kind of put these things together in my head, at least thinking, well, people are sad and more and more of them are viewing yoga as a way to deal with stress to help increase relaxation. So could you talk a little bit about how and when someone might turn to a practice like yoga or meditation to deal with their increasing stress? Yeah, let me start by kind of talking about the science behind it, because I think that'll help us understand why we would want to reach towards yoga or some of these other practices, some of these other wellness practices to help us with stress. So if you think about the science behind stress, we experience an event as stressful when we're in a place of fear, right? When we're fearful for our life or we're just fearful of the environment that we're living in. So it's not surprising when you look at this pandemic that we've been living in and through where there's this huge amount of fear that came up for people. And then in, in addition to feeling the fear, all of a sudden we took away community. So we took away the support systems, a lot of the support systems and the structures that people were used to living mm. in and under, right? So it's, it's not surprising that people started to feel stressed. And the way that we experience stress in our bodies, I think is really important to note because what happens is we go into automatically, we go into a state of fight, flight, or freeze. And you and, and the people that are listening have maybe heard about this fight, flight, or freeze states. And when, when we get into this place, what happens is our amygdala, which is a part of our brain. So if we go back to the brain science that we were talking about, that kind of gets triggered, if you will. And when that happens, our bodies um, get inundated with cortisol and different stress hormones. And when that, that happens, our bodies go into what's called the sympathetic nervous system. So our, our sympathetic nervous system kicks in. And for some people that might trigger them or, or cause them to go into a hyper anxious or hyper arousal state, which is where you feel really jittery. It's where your heart beats really fast. It's where your body gets tense. It's essentially where you're like prepping yourself to fight or prepping yourself to run away. If you, if you translate that to mental health language, that's anxiety. That's a, a lot of how people experience anxiety. Now the opposite or, or, you know, there's always polarities, right? So the, the second half of that might be that people become hypo aroused instead of hyper aroused, it's hypo aroused, which is where um, they might go into that freeze state where you isolate, where you shut down, where you're kind of in shock and you can't move, you can't react. So you think of like during the pandemic, some people isolated even more, right? Than we were forced to isolate or started to just really shut down. That's a state of depression when you translate that to the, the mental health translation, if you will. So the reason yoga becomes really important or meditation becomes really important or seeing a therapist might become really important is because those practices help you tell your body that, no, I am safe, it is okay, and my um, parasympathetic nervous system can then kick in. And that parasympathetic nervous system, sometimes it's called the rest and digest state, 
that's where we feel calm. We feel peaceful. We feel relaxed. It's where our brain calms down essentially too and goes into the theta wave state and where our body can heal. And so when we, when we roll out our mats and we get um, onto our mat and start practicing yoga, you might notice that those anxious thoughts start to slow down because a lot of the um, meditation and yoga practices are focused on calming your thoughts. So your thoughts start to calm your body, like tension starts to, you know, relax from your body and you start to get into this place where you can heal place where you're not prepped to fight or to flee or to shut down, where you can process emotions, where you can get back into your body. Because a lot of these other places kind of get up these hypo or hyper aroused states kind of get us out of our bodies. And, and the yoga practices like get us back in so we can feel what's really happening and we can process and we can integrate and we can heal. Sure. So it's not just that we're trying to avoid all of those stressful situations. It's that we want to go through that whole process, going through that stress, that system of processing the stress. Yeah. It's not like we're just trying to use that practice to avoid it. We're trying to use it to process everything that's happened. Is that kind of how you're describing it? Absolutely. Well, to integrate it. And what happens too, is there's this concept, um, this theory by Dr. Siegel um, called the window of tolerance. And that window of tolerance is where we're in homeostasis, where our bodies are calm and relaxed. And the theory says that the more time we, we are in that parasympathetic nervous system place, the more resiliency we have, the more our window of tolerance grows, meaning that we have more of an ability to handle the stress without going into that automatic stress response. You know, stress isn't going to go away, but instead of you going into that automatic stress place, you might be able to take a deep breath and be okay with it, right? Or you might be able to, to handle um, different levels of stress in a better way, if that makes sense. Sure. You're learning tools to deal with what's going on. Absolutely. Something you just said reminded me of a quote from your book. Do you mind if I quote from your book? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> you said, I felt as if my body was ready to break. It hurt too much physically or emotionally to connect to my heart. So I found myself staying busy and working harder to achieve my perfect picture of success. I was suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And hearing those words now, do you think that if somebody described themselves that way, you might suggest the course of action that you found, which would be to go try yoga? Yeah. Well, first of all, I don't remember saying that. So thanks for repeating <laughs> that back to me. I'm like, oh, that person needs some therapy. That's what they need. Um, but yes, yes. To answer your question, I would say when you're in that disconnected place, it is really helpful to find a practice. And I know we're talking about yoga right now, but it might, it might be something else. So when I'm talking to clients, we might talk about going for a walk um, in the woods where you feel connected to nature, where you feel mindful and you feel present. Um, there's a lot of different, you know, tools or different practices that people can do that can help them kind of get back into their bodies. But yoga certainly is an amazing practice for that because all of a sudden you're moving your body in a way where, you know, let's say you're holding a pose that takes a lot of strength and a lot of balance and a lot of control. You have to be present in your body to be able to hold that pose. You know, if you think of the tree pose that we're all used to seeing on magazines and such, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of focus on what's happening in my feet to what's happening with my arms, what's happening with my legs. And so it really does focus you um, or, or force you, excuse me, to come back into your body and to feel what's, what's going on. And so it's an, an introspective kind of a, a practice that forces you to be insightful and and pay attention and be curious that's one thing we talk a lot about in yoga is really being curious about what are the sensations what are the things that i'm feeling what is happening in my body 
And it's not to change it or to fix it or to make it be any different than it is. It's really just to be, right? To feel it and to embody it. And to, you know, we talked about the kind of processing of emotions a little bit. That That's what's happening when we're doing that. I think I had that same reaction to your own quote. What you wrote felt like somebody who needed therapy. <laughs> and I, I understand that what you're saying as well, how the practices can be complementary and how somebody might pick up a practice like that because they're just feeling really emotionally and mentally drained. Mm -hmm. And I guess, honestly, the thing that I kind of wonder about is how many people are turning towards a practice like yoga or meditation because they see all of these scientific benefits when in actuality, it probably is more appropriate for them to be seeing a therapist instead. Yeah. Well, I think they can be used together for most people because what happens in meditation, from my perspective anyway, what happens in meditation and yoga is, again, we become aware. We all of a sudden have this insight into, oh, wow, I'm feeling really sad. Like tears might start to come up while you're on your mat that you didn't even know that emotion or feeling was, was there. So it starts with that awareness, but then I think where therapy comes in is that awareness is great, but sometimes it's overwhelming, right? Sometimes we get flooded with emotion or flooded with different sensations and things that are going on. So we might need some support in figuring out what do we do with that? How do we continue to process it on a maybe deeper level or different level? So we might feel it, you know, like I might get to my yoga mat and start crying. And then I become curious about well, where is that coming from? That's deep within me. I'm holding, I'm, you know, we all store and hold emotions within us. And so these practices help those emotions kind of move up and out sometimes, but then we want to learn from them uh, and maybe they don't come out. Maybe they're still there and we want to process them so that, that they can be released and let go. Um, so that's where I think therapy can come in is for people um, who want to take it kind of the next step and really figure out, okay, what, what is this? Is this coming from a, a deep-seated pattern that I want to change in my life? Is it the same storyline coming up over and over and over again? Am I thinking the same thoughts? Am I worrying about the same things? And that I think is, is where therapy can help. And then I will say, you know, there's one piece that does scare me in terms of people doing yoga where they need therapy is when people have experienced um, traumatic events and for some people chronic trauma, right? There might be a lot of traumas in their life. When we are in our bodies, well, first let me say when we've experienced trauma, trauma takes us out of our body because we, we get into survival mode when we have a traumatic experience. And so to be safe, sometimes we, we kind of come out of our, our bodies and disassociate. So when we come back into our bodies. For some people, it feels unsafe. It can feel really scary. It can bring a lot up, like that flooding that I talked about. It can bring a lot of emotion up all at one time. And so as a yoga teacher, um, I know I've talked in my teacher trainings, I've talked about, you know, knowing your role that you're a yoga teacher, you're not a therapist, right? So if somebody starts, you know, really getting dysregulated in your yoga class, yoga teachers aren't necessarily trained to help support you in that emotional process. A therapist is traditionally trained to really support and help in that process. So that's where I think as yoga teachers, it's important to recognize like when, it, when is it helpful to refer a client and to say, you know, I, I think it might help you or, or if you're interested, let me provide you some information with the therapist, right? Because I can get scary if people, you know, again, if they're getting dysregulated and feeling fearful in their body, you really want a therapist to help provide that safe container for them to process what's happened. I think with a lot of people nowadays that are experiencing just some of the general trauma of all of the world events, mm -hmm. that they're turning to some of these practices and trying to, you know, take control, trying to develop these habits. And then I've seen over and over that people are a little bit discouraged when they realize that something like yoga, meditation, or therapy all 
they, they encourage a willingness to interrogate the difficulties of life. And if you're, if you don't want to go there, it's not just like, oh, we're going to do these things to bliss out that it's not just an escape from life. That seems to be one area where there is a lot of crossover. And I think it is important for anyone listening to realize that mm -hmm. yoga teachers like myself <laughs> have a scope of practice. You know, if we're certified by the yoga Alliance, we are not allowed to teach yoga therapy. And to me, as I understand it and what you're saying, it sounds like the, a place like a yoga class, a meditation class, those might be places to explore and interrogate some of the difficulties in your own life. But the therapy is about trying to explore further and maybe work towards the healing. How, how does that land on you? Yeah. 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 It's again, the awareness piece that comes up in yoga. So it is like feeling the, the difficulty or feeling the suffering of, of what you're going through or, or, you know, what might be in your body or in your mind. It's not, you know, I, I think of some of the images that we see of somebody sitting cross-legged um, in meditation, just all blissed out. That's not the experience for most people when they first begin. It might over time, but for a lot of us, when you get quiet, all of a sudden you realize all those anxious thoughts or you realize all those emotions that, you know, come up for you. And so I think the, again, the therapy piece is where we then recognize what's happening for us and we learn different ways or other ways, or we really process and figure out like, where is this coming from? And so it's a deeper dive, if you will. And it's also where we can learn additional coping skills. Because if we're having a panic attack at work someday, it's not going to help us to unroll our yoga mat and start doing downward facing dog. Hmm. Right. But a therapist can maybe give you some breathing strategies that we might learn in yoga. Um, and so you might have some strategies, but a therapist is going to help really walk through, okay, why are we having those panic attacks in the first place? Where are they coming from in that moment of crisis? What are the coping skills? What are the things that you can do? So that's kind of my discernment, you know, between um, a yoga class per se and, and therapy. I do think a lot of the yoga practices, a lot of the things that we learn like pranayama and breath work and meditation, you know, I think a lot of those things can be brought into therapy and people can learn them and can use them for therapeutic benefit. But most of our traditional just, you know, 60 minute yoga classes aren't breaking those pieces apart and really teaching us as individuals how we can use them in a therapeutic manner when we're in crisis. Yeah, that makes sense. One of my other yoga teachers, you have been one of my yoga teachers, Nicole, <laughs> but Another one of my yoga teachers from Kripalu was talking about the difference between teaching a yoga class where in a lot of ways, that's the teacher sharing the practices that they have been working on for a group and trying to help the group in whatever way that we can generally help. Whereas if you're doing something like yoga therapy on an individual basis, then it's really focused on the person there. And then that therapist or that, you know, maybe it's a yoga therapist or an integrative therapist or whatever type of therapist is really there listening, trying to understand and, and not coming in with any sort of schedule. So that's important for a lot of people to, <laughs> to keep in mind when they're, when they're trying to decide, because I bet there's a lot of people who are listening right now thinking like, oh, I'm feeling really stressed. Maybe I should try yoga. Maybe I should try meditation. Remembering that there can be trauma-informed yoga classes that are nice containers for people to explore that, mm -hmm. but that is quite different than therapy. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I think I still feel like that can be, that can be tricky for an individual to be able to discern on their own without outside help. Yeah. It makes me think about, for example, there, there's a certain breath work that we use in yoga sometimes called breath of fire. And that breath work is really stimulating. You're breathing really quickly. Well, for someone who is coming to a class, super anxious, that could put them over the edge and potentially give them a panic attack. 
Whereas with that person, what, what would best benefit them is a really soothing, calming breath work. And similarly with someone who is maybe feeling really depressed, if they go to a class that's really slow, maybe a restorative class, that's not what's going to best serve them. Having something more stimulating, more invigorating is going to shift their energy potentially and help them come to a more, a better place of balance. So to your point, I do think it is really helpful to have that individual touch point, whether it's talking to your yoga studio and saying, here's what I'm looking for. I really need and want a stimulating yoga class, or I really need and want something more calming. And at least just starting the conversation and, and asking questions about which class might fit me best. Or if you can do, you know, an individual yoga therapy session or meet with a, a a psychotherapist who's got training in this kind of stuff, you know, absolutely. They might even be able to give you an individual, individual, like home practice, a yoga practice that you can do that is created just for your unique needs. Um, so I, I, to your point, I'm hearing kind of the, the worry, I think, and is yoga right? Is meditation right for everybody? I think everybody can try it, can practice it. But if you find that you're not feeling well in your yoga practice, if it's bringing up anxiety, if it's causing you to be flooded with emotions, things like that. I think that's where it's important for you to seek out individual support with some, from someone who can really figure out what are your unique needs um, and help create you know, a plan around that. I like what you're saying. Another aspect of this to me is, is sort of the other end. Uh, it reminds me of a, a phrase we have in software development called premature optimization, which happens when some well-intentioned person gets really focused on some minor detail in a scenario that's maybe very unlikely to happen <laughs> and then sort of strays away from some of the main goals. So it kind of makes me wonder if there might be similar kinds of things that happen where people, you know, the worried well, where they're mm -hmm. thinking something might be wrong because everybody else is sad when really there, it might be just that some people are doing fine and they don't need a therapist and they can go to that yoga class and they can just kind of maybe bliss out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also we don't want to discourage, you know, people that might be listening that are thinking, yeah, I've been wanting to do yoga. I've been curious about meditation. You know, we certainly don't want to discourage people from doing the practices. You know, we know from the research that these practices help with focus, help with concentration, can help with pain management, can help with mental health issues. You know, have, there's just so many benefits, um, whether you're feeling well or feeling unwell, regardless, there's just amazing benefits to these practices. And we don't want to give you a reason not to, you know, start to try, try some of these things. I think we're just to your points, you know, being cautious about, well, what if you do start to feel overwhelmed or start to feel, um, you know, some, some sensations that are scary for you, then we want to get you other support, but you're right. There might be some people who aren't feeling stressed out that, that are, just feeling great. And these practices can help you feel even better. <laughs> and I, I would argue that a lot of people that are balanced and feeling well in their lives likely have some lifestyle practices that they use that support them in being well, that support them in being in that, that calm, contented, um, centered place. Some of these practices that we're discussing, yoga, meditation, Tai Chi, all of these sort of contemplative Eastern practices, they often have many more components than just postures, right? And so a lot of people think of yoga as, as postures, and yet other teachers like to talk about the eight limbs of yoga and the postures being just one of those eight. I think that might be another thing that some people who are exploring these practices might want to consider is if they are wanting just to be more flexible <laughs> or if they are wanting to reduce 
how often they're lying and stealing and, mm-hmm. <laughs> or any other things that might not contribute to a healthy mind. Could you talk a little bit about how some of these practices are incorporating other ethical components and even if that comes into therapy as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think about when I first started yoga, it really was about having an hour every week to get exercise. (laughs) I, I was totally stressed out, but what was important to me at that time was I need to be in shape. I need to look the part, you know, all those things. Right. So for me, it was the flexibility and the strength and the exercise. And what I found then, you know, when I finished a Shavasana, which is where we just lay in rest at the end of the yoga class was, oh my gosh, I'm a different person. Right. I feel more balanced. I feel more relaxed. I feel what those people say is bliss. Like I have a, a, some idea of what that bliss might, might feel like. And that was the part that then got me curious and interested in learning more about yoga. And and what's fascinating, and this is what you were just talking about, is there's so much more to yoga philosophy and yoga practices than just the physical movements. Physical asanas are, you know, really important, but I, I see that as being like the entryway, like that's what gets most people started and into yoga. But then you dive deeper and you start to learn that there, there's the importance of our breath work. And there's um, a lot of research in the mental health community about how our overall health is really tied to how we breathe, right? And if we breathe deeply and calmly, that that's usually a sign. I mean, it's one of the things I look for immediately when a client walks into my office, I check to see if they're breathing into their chest because that tells me they're in the sympathetic nervous system and they're in their stress response. So our breath work, um, pranayama is incredibly important. We start to learn in yoga philosophy about focusing the mind, quieting the mind, or being curious about the mind and kind of peeling away the different layers of ourself to get to that, that inner self, that part of ourself that's connected with something bigger than, than what we are. And there's also a lot of lifestyle practices. So you talked about kind of the ethical guidelines, if you will. There's a lot of things that we learn in yoga philosophy about just how to move through your daily life. At Spirit of the Lake Yoga, where that I own and where I teach, we call it living yoga, right? So I'm living my yoga off of my mat. I'm, I'm trying to live a life in balance by maybe not harming, right? Not stealing, not lying. Um, It might be about brahmacharya, which is all about not doing things in excess. So um, I think of with the 4th of July coming up, this holiday coming up this weekend, how sometimes the heat and the um, busyness can bring us out of a state of balance. So brahmacharya teaches us to not do things in excess, but to really pay attention to um, what our bodies uniquely need to be in a, a state of balance. So I could talk, I could just like keep going on all the yamas and niyamas and the eight limbs of yoga, but I'll leave it with what you said. Like there's a lot more to yoga than what we often talk about just in a regular yoga class. And so once you dig into the philosophy, there's a lot of teaching that and a lot of learning that we can do related to just regular lifestyle practices and how those can bring us into a greater state of balance and greater um, state of wellness overall. There's also research I've seen that simplifies it quite a bit more where essentially in happiness research, one common denominator for those who are deemed happy is that they have chosen to be happy. Is that an idea that you promote for the people you serve? Yeah, there's this idea of positive psychology, right? There's this, there's a lot of research in positive psychology about mindset and how you look at things and, and how you see the world and whether you choose happy or you choose something different. And I like to relate it too to, to gratitude practices. Mm-hmm. So if you start doing a, a gratitude practice, you know, start thinking of three things that you're grateful every night before you go to bed. Before you know it, you're just going to be looking around and being grateful for little things that you never would have noticed before. And so it's, it goes back to kind of that neuroplasticity plasticity that we talked about earlier is 
what we like, what we fire in our brains starts to build and strengthen over time. And so if you do think more positive, happy thoughts, then you might start to be happier in general. Now I say that a little bit with a caveat because there's this idea too of toxic positivity where sometimes Mm -hmm. life is hard, right? And if somebody just lost a child, we're not going to say to them, we'll just choose to be happy right? If somebody just went through a divorce, we're not going to say that. If somebody is really struggling with a pandemic, we're not going to tell them, well, you just have to choose to be happy. There are ways to, um, in therapy, we use cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a process of noticing our thoughts like we do in meditation and then neutralizing those thoughts. So instead of going to like worst case scenarios, you try to look at, okay, what is a thought that still feels true and feels real to me that is more neutral, doesn't bring um, fear in or doesn't bring in these um, harder emotions, sadness or, or different, um, you know, painful emotions and such. So there are, I do think I'll go back to the positive psychology. I do think it, it is helpful and a great practice for a lot of people. And I think for some people, it can feel like you're not really seeing me or hearing me or understanding me when you're telling me just to be positive. So I think there are other practices that we can use in those scenarios as well. All of these statements seem to have some sort of asterisk after them. (laughs) (laughs) If this, then that. It's an unfortunate thing in a way for, for people to find out too, is like it takes work to try and figure out what works for them. Mm -hmm. We're getting near the end of our time. Do you have one practice or technology, if you'd like, that you could recommend to people who want to contribute to their well-being? Yeah. Okay. Let me do both. I will say the first for a practice is I'm just going to say belly breathing. Um, There's two things that came to mind, but I'll stick with that one. So for a lot of us, again, um, you know, I mentioned that the first thing I look for is how is someone breathing when they, when I meet with them. And that's because when we breathe really shallow and we breathe um, into our chest, um, we're usually in that sympathetic nervous system state. We're in a stress response. So the best thing that we can do to counter that, and it's so, so very simple, but it does take practice is to try to draw our breath down lower into our body, into our lungs, lower into our rib cage. And that pushes on the diaphragm and makes our belly expand. So we call it belly breathing. So when you breathe really slowly and fully and deeply, you start to tone our vagus nerve. Um, Some of you have maybe heard of the vagal tone theory. That vagus nerve is responsible for telling our bodies that we should be in fight or flight or freeze, or that we're safe, we're okay, and we can calm down. So if someone's feeling panicky, the first thing I'm going to do with them as a therapist is I'm going to get right in front of them and I'm going to have them breathe with me. And we're going to breathe down into our bellies and we're going to try to calm our nervous system. So that's the best practice that I've found um, throughout the days just to check in and notice, okay, how am I breathing? Where is my breath? Can I take some, some deep calming breaths down towards my belly? And that's just going to be that reset button. It's just going to get you to like tell your body, nope, I'm good. Like we're good. We don't need to be stressed out right now. Even if my thoughts are stressful, my body doesn't have to be in that stressed out state. So that to me is the easiest, most accessible, you know, we're always breathing. It's something that a tool we have with us all the time. So that is something I would say everybody can use and should use and can have a a great impact over time. And then for technology, there's a lot of meditation apps out there. I have some meditations on my website, which is just nicoleloval.com that are free. But there's one app that I personally love to use just because there's so many uh, meditations out there and it's called Insight Timer and it's free. Um, You can pay for some additional supports and things if you'd like, but there are great meditation um, and yoga teachers out there. Um, I often have clients um, use that app as well for support. Thank you. And I will also say that your book contains a lot of other suggestions and practices for self-care and finding contentment and 
dealing with the ups and downs of life. So anyone listening, go out and get Ohm Sweet Ohm. Is there anything else you would like to promote or mention today? Well, for any parents who might be listening, I just recorded um, a mindful parenting curriculum. And so that's available on my website as well under the services. And so I'm very passionate about helping fellow parents integrate some of these practices and particularly mindfulness so that we can be a little more patient, a little more calm, and ultimately get to that place of having some joyful moments with our kiddos. So they can certainly look for that if you're a parent looking for some support as well. And is your website the best way for people to get in touch with you? Or is there another method that you would prefer if somebody listening would like to reach out? Yeah. And, and I should mention, I guess, that I do have um, some availability for therapy clients as well. There's always things are fluid and shifting all the time. So I usually can squeeze some people in. Yeah. And going to my website again, just nicoleoval.com. Um, my email and phone number are all available there in the contact information. And I'd love to hear from you if anybody has any questions or if you'd like to um, work with me in any way. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today, Nicole. It was wonderful to catch up and hear some of your ideas about these topics. I think this provided a great overview for some of the different types of practices and topics that people are thinking about a lot nowadays, and hopefully this will be beneficial. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Matthew. It was my pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening and for spreading the word about hacking culture to your friends, family, and coworkers. If you are interested in topics such as yoga, meditation, and well-being, please subscribe to my newsletter at matthewtift.com newsletter. Hacking Culture is produced at Lullabot. The theme music is from the Open Goldberg Variations. Thank you for listening.